0: So, the Red Chair Project is basically this idea of bringing that salon experience to people versus waiting for people to come to me and putting my money where my mouth is as if everybody is welcome and come as you are. like if if people can't come to me, I need to go to them.
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Let's Give a Damn podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. My name is Nicola Para. I'm super thrilled that you have decided to take some time out of your week, your busy, busy week, to spend time with the Let's Give a Damn family, with Let's Give a Damn, with me, having these meaningful conversations and figuring out how we navigate this incredibly crazy time that we're in. We are going to continue tackling this COVID-19 global pandemic from a variety of different angles. This week is no exception. We will continue over the next few weeks and months to bring you different experts, from a scientific standpoint, from a medical standpoint, economic standpoint, so on and so forth. But we're also going to continue to bring you stories of people who are figuring out creatively how to continue giving a damn during a global pandemic. And this is not something that there's a rule book for. There's no guidelines for this. For most of us, we are going through something like this for the first time in our lives. And so we're going to continue bringing amazing stories like that. Again, today is no exception. I'm so pleased, so honored to have my longtime friend, Katie Stellar, on the podcast today. Katie is from Minneapolis, Minnesota. I won't give away too much of her story, but it's incredible. She's had some twists and turns. She's had some life-threatening things happen to her. And she has, in her young adult life, has found some really amazing ways of giving a damn. Katie and I have known each other for about 12 years now. And three to four years of that really well. Then we lost touch for a while. And then a year or two ago, we uh, kind of reconnected. And I've been watching from afar, occasionally through text and stuff, but mostly on social media, just watching her find really creative ways of giving a damn. And we're going to talk about a bunch of those today. We're, in this conversation, we dive into her story. We dive into her faith background because she and I were part of the same church for a while when we were in Minnesota and there's a lot to unpack there. And then we talk about the many ways that she is giving a damn through not only just her workplace, how she cares about her employees, how she is building and creating her business, but also extensions of that that have come out of her, yeah, her giving a damn and her creativity. She has found really unique ways of helping people in the Minneapolis, Minnesota area area, and now beyond all over the nation and you'll find out how she is doing that. So I will not keep talking. I'm so excited, so thrilled you get to listen in on our conversation today. It was such a delight to reconnect with her and really excited to share her story with you. So without further ado, this is Let's Give a Damn. I'm Nick LaPara and here's my conversation with Katie Stellar. Let's go. Thank you so much for joining. We've been, tr- we've been trying to get this on the calendar for quite some time. And for whatever reason, it hasn't worked out. But as we stated before we pushed record, it took a global pandemic to get us <laughs> on a call. Um, here we go. Let's do it.
0: Yeah. You know, it's like you always have that excuse of like, well, I just can't find time for it or I can't do this or I can't do that. And now it seems like we all have quite a bit of time. And it kind of shows us too, I think, the things that you're like, Oh, it wasn't that I didn't have time for those things over there. I just didn't want to do those things.
1: Yeah. But yeah. this is
0: one of the things that I wanted to do. And so I'm really glad that we're able to to find the time for
1: it. Wonderful. I with uh <laughs> with three kids at home and now we're kind of pretty much quarantined all the time. I have less time than ever. But I do understand <laughs> I do understand that sentiment. And I'm I'm trying to, I think I'm gonna build out my I have a shed out back that I'm gonna yeah. build out because I mean, I love, I love my wife, love my kids. The whole thing is great. And we're getting these like really awesome moments together, but getting real legitimate work done is yeah. not, um, happening all that much. You know, the kids come and knock on the bedroom door and, you know, he, Roman wants to show me something. Bell wants to tell me something and it just, it just disrupts <laughs> uh, a well. fair amount of things, but
0: It's so true. I mean, I I don't have children, which I'm realizing now scrolling through Facebook that, yeah, this isn't necessarily a walk in the park for a lot of people who are at home with their families all the time. But I do have two great Danes, and it's kind of a similar thing. Children, where they're like, this is so great. You're around all the time. That means we get to be in your face all the time. And, you know, it's not like a small dog that you can just push off to the side. It's literally like using all of my body weight and pushing them across the room. How so, much do
1: they? How old are they, and how much do they weigh?
0: Uh, Jedi is nine years old, and he's about a hundred pounds. Rebel is a year and a half, and she is like one fifteen, one twenty. So
1: yeah, <laughs> those are adults. That that's an adult. That's not even a child size. I
0: know. I actually I went to Costco to buy dog food before all this like imminent like shutdown and everything like that. And I literally was buying just for like the next two weeks. So I had two bags in my car or in my cart. And I went up and they're like, oh, you can only buy one at a time because things are being rationed. But I was like, that's literally like enough for just like one of my dogs for like a week and a half. So. I went back again the next day to pick yeah, up my food. Yeah, of course. Like, okay, I'll be back. Shopping. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Well, I'm so happy to have you on. Um, you know, we we've known each other for years, actually. Yeah. We we met uh, in a former lifetime. That's uh, so and strange. We, we hung out a, a ton in a former lifetime when when well you still live in Minnesota. That's your like yeah your birthplace. That's your birthplace. Yeah. You've Born been there. Raised. You've been there straight through. Did you ever leave at all, or have you been um, pretty much?
0: I've been there. My parents always had their house here. We left a couple times for like my dad's sabbaticals, but it would only be for like six months to a year, and then we'd be back here.
1: Yeah. So this is my home. And so my wife and I lived there uh, in 2008 to 2012. You know, got to know you quite a bit. Had my yeah. hair cut by you uh, <laughs> so so many times. Um, and there's actually a picture floating around that my kids love to look at where you put some, like, blonde, you know, streaks in the front of (laughs) Yes. So we, yeah, we we had a lot of fun together for that time, and then we kind of lost touch for a while.
0: We did, yeah. And
1: reconnected a year or two ago, and I started, you know, following you on social media. You're doing tons and tons of uh, great stuff, and so we'll get to all the stuff that you're doing, but first, I would love for you to share some of your story, just so that when we get to all the things that you're doing now, all the ways that you're giving a damn, a lot more of that will make sense, hopefully. So as much or as little as you want to tell me and yeah. us, uh, share uh, your story, the who, what, when, where, and why, the people, places, and things that made Katie Stellar who you are today.
0: <laughs> Man, yeah, well, I mean, just to like, just give a little snapshot of who I am now, I am 29 years old, almost 30. Um, I have a salon in Minneapolis um, that I've had for about six years now. I've also opened a second business along with a nonprofit within the past year. Um, And like you said, like I'm, I'm from Minnesota. I've lived here my whole life, deviated a little bit, but always come back. Um, So yeah, growing up. I grew up downtown Minneapolis. My dad's a Baptist pastor and I'm one of six kids. And so you can imagine just the chaos that ensued there. Um, And I grew up in a neighborhood Elliott Park, which is really, really close to downtown. It's actually like right next to like the U.S. Bank Stadium. If you know where that is, Um, so I realize now that it was such a privilege for me to grow up in that neighborhood because I grew up with people who were so different than me. And growing up with people who are different from you is a luxury because it helps you grow up not being afraid of difference. And so, looking back, I'm so grateful for that experience because I recognize as an adult now with a lot of fear that's out there. It's people who are afraid of things that they don't understand or they don't know. And so I grew up in this neighborhood where I was one of the white, only white kids, which was great. Um, I got to know a lot of different people with different cultures, um, beliefs. Um, there, was a, there was a home for adults who struggle with different mental disabilities. And so just growing up with so many diverse people was just a really – Incredible experience. So, I think that that definitely kind of helped push me into the direction that my life has gone. Um, but at age 11, I actually ended up getting diagnosed with ulcerative which is an autoimmune disease. I've always been a really sensitive person, and a lot of my anxiety and um, feelings and sen- sensitivities manifest themselves physically. And so, growing up, there were some things that happened in my childhood and it triggered this disease, and that kind of Like set the trajectory for the rest of my life. I was in and out of the hospital as a kid. I didn't get to do a lot of the things that other kids got to do. Um, I had to drop out of school. I was on all different kinds of medication. Um, And I just was different and I felt separate. And that was so hard. But I think looking back, it's it's more hard for me as an adult to look back and see that versus as a kid, like that was just my normalcy. Um, But what I realized throughout that time was you know, if you wanted to do something bad enough, you just had to be creative. Like I couldn't do things the way that my friends did. I couldn't go to summer camp and not think twice about where the you know, bathroom is or like what the food's going to be or what the sleeping arrangements are going to be or who's going to be my cabin or do I trust the leader? You know, like I couldn't go with just that like blind, like I'm just going to go and enjoy myself. I had to plan right. everything out. But what I realized was like, if there are things I want to do, i'm gonna fucking do them like i'm gonna be creative and figure it out and so i think that what i didn't realize like at that young age was that that was setting me up to have this like entrepreneur brain of like problem solving of seeing a problem wanting to solve it because you believe in it and so yeah throughout the years was super sick um and then uh, you know like life happens teenage years suck a little bit you know um but I ended up so so the way that I actually ended up getting into hair was very closely tied with like my feeling of being so alone and separate Mm -hmm. and then that feeling of somebody helping you feel like you belong and after that realizing you want to do that for somebody else so like growing up I was a tomboy I didn't care about hair Um, but throughout my illness I did start to lose hair um, and you don't realize, and this is something I say a lot, you don't realize how important something is until it's gone or until you start to lose it. And so as I was losing it, I was like, oh my God, this is a part of my identity. This is something that I do value about myself and I'm losing it. And it's heartbreaking. And uh, my mom saw that that was like devastating for me. And I'd never been somebody who cared about my hair. And so she actually booked me my first professional haircut when I was 17 which is wild because like up until that point, my my mom would just cut my hair. I really did not care whatsoever. Um, I did not know how to curl hair, braid hair, anything until I ended up going to hair school. But um, I went, I sat down in this woman's chair and she honestly, and I tell this story all the time, but I really never wanted to lose like the weight of how important it was for me. But like, she just saw me as a person. Like, I've asked her, you know, recently or like in the past couple of years, I was like, do you realize what an impact you had on me? And she's like, no, she's like, you were my client. She's like, I was treating you like a client. You know, you were my person. And so to be able to sit down in a chair and have somebody talk to me like Katie and not an illness was life changing for me. Huge. And so that's when I realized the power behind being a hairstylist is it's not just about the outward appearance. It's not just about the fact that you are giving somebody a new style. You are spending 45 minutes to three hours talking to somebody, touching them, getting to know them, helping kind of shift their like physical identity to a place that they feel better about themselves. And if that isn't like a beautiful representation of human connection, I don't know what is. And so after leaving there and just feeling that connection and feeling like I was important and feeling like I was more than an illness, I was like, that was where my mind is fixated on, I'm going to be a hairstylist, even though I did not know what the hell I was doing. And I did not care about hair up until that moment. I was like, that's what I want to do, even if it's just to pay my way through nursing school, which is what I was planning on doing anyways. Mm. So I ended up having my colon removed when I was 18, um, which definitely threw a whole new wrench into my life. Um, Losing six feet of intestine is not a quick healing process. And there's definitely lots of things that you have to Navigate that are different, um but again, I was used to that, so even though it was really hard and looking back, I was like, yeah, that was really hard like i I rolled with it, and I realize now, like you know with now understanding my other mental health things that i I experience, I'm like that's a part of just my survival mode too. Yeah. when things are really scary and painful, it's like you just like you have options, you can either not do anything or you can do something um so throughout that, I actually that's when I started, uh, I went to hair school about a year after I had that surgery because it was about a year recovery. Um, And uh, that's where I just had to work really hard. Doing hair did not come naturally to me, but I was used to doing things that were not easy. And I had my motivator and I knew why I was doing it. And it did set me apart. Like I definitely had an energy that people were watching. And I don't say that out of pride, but more so because the thing that drove me was so much more based in like what my life meaning, (laughs) what I wanted to be versus just a career. And so I was a highly motivated student, worked really hard. After that, I worked a year behind the chair and then quickly decided like, okay, this industry is not set up in a way that is going to allow me to do hair in the way that aligns with my values. You know, it's set up in a way that people are paid minimum wage and clients are, you know, a dollar amount and people are wanting to get them in and out, in and out. You know, and it's all about making that that top dollar, and that just never sat well with me because I truly believe that if you have a, like the mindset of putting that person first in your chair as a human and not just a dollar amount, the money is going to come, and it's going to be way more sustainable. Yeah. Than if you're just focusing on that that person's a thirty five dollar haircut.
1: Where did um, you Where did you? get that you mentioned values and another way of saying that might be like a worldview. Like where did you pick up that worldview that those values that it's not just about making a buck because we're going to get into more of your, the stuff that you've created and made. And it's Mm -hmm. all about, I mean, at least from an outsider's perspective, it all seems very like people over profit and not that you can't make a sustainable business out of that, that, but that's not, that's not normal in this, especially in this very, capitalistic and dare I say crony capitalistic (laughs) that we live in, right? Like I'm not going to shit on capitalism, but it has to be conscious capitalism. If we're going to engage in, it It has to be a capitalism that values people over profit every single time. And so where did you, where did that come from for you?
0: You know, I actually don't even really know where it started. I think I've always been a people person. I really have. I think I've always been somebody And again, I don't, I don't entirely know if it comes from like maybe more of my religious upbringing where, you know, there's a lot of damage that happened there, but there are also maybe some good values that were instilled of like giving to others and seeing others with value. And, you know, like, I I think that definitely plays a part into it. But I think that being somebody who is sensitive to other people's life experiences, like I, I just, I can't help but think about like ramifications of choices or ramifications of decisions or ramifications of work environments. And, and I think that at the end of the day too, I am a problem solver. I am creative and I'm very motivated. And so this isn't like, Oh, I don't want to have money to like run my business. I just want to give everything away. Like, yes, if in a perfect world, I would give everything away. But I recognize the importance of having a sustainable business that gives jobs to people so, that they can live their best life outside of work and come to work feeling valued. And so, that's where for me, you know, and we'll get into obviously like the business side of things, but just this idea of just because things are done a certain way and there's projections and cash flow ideas and like business plans to show like this is the trajectory of your profit and loss sheet, these are all, you know, like all the number stuff. Like, just because things look like that on a spreadsheet does not mean that that's the only value that's in a business. And so you can't quantify human experience on a spreadsheet. And what I've found is to create sustainability in a business, you need to grow it out like this horizontally versus just straight up. Because then when things like this happen with a pandemic where my business is shut down, I have a crew of people who is ready and willing and excited to come back and help me rebuild, you know? And so I think that that's where, It's, it's not just like a a value that was necessarily just instilled in me, but I've just seen it work that way. As I've treated people with respect and kindness, they stay, you know? And so, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. No, it it
1: totally does. And, and, you know, so many people that have that religious upbringing don't ever get to, um, I shouldn't say don't ever, but rarely get to test it out, right? They know it in theory. Mm -hmm. They've read it on a page. They've heard it preached to them. But you've gone the extra step that I hope so many people end up taking, which is like, okay, I know that kindness begets kindness. I know people over profit. I know love your neighbor, love one another. Like I know all those things. But then taking the step to actually find out if that's true, right? right? You've put that into practice. You've gone through the shit. You've gone through the ringer. And now you have that crew of people. And you've got people in your corner on your side ready to help. And that's, the, that's when you're like, ah, this actually works. Right. This actually works when you put in the work and when you love other people and when you do put people over profit, good things happen, like good things happen back.
0: Well, and I think that that's the thing is like risking the unknown is so scary for people. That's, that's a part of that fear. But, you know, and people will ask me like, you know, like you don't seem so like afraid of failure. And I'm like, you know, when you fail a lot, it becomes way less scary because you recognize like Oh yeah, I fucked that up and I'm still here, Yep. you know, and that's, you know, even like the ideas and the business plans that I have, people will look and be like, Oh, look at all this success or look at all these great ideas. I'm like, for every good idea, I had 300 really shitty ones that I made a fool of myself about, but people only really, they fixate on whatever it is that they want to see. Like if people want to look at me for like my failures, they could easily find every single one of them. You know, and if somebody wants to see a good story, they can see that too. And so I think that that's something I really want to be vocal about is like, especially when it comes to connecting with people, there's risk there and the risk is worth it because even if it doesn't pay out the way that you want it to, even if that person isn't receptive, even if that person doesn't reciprocate, recognizing you're okay. You're okay if they don't and like show up and do it again. Because the moment that you start to have those impacts on people that maybe you wouldn't have even taken the chance on because you were so afraid of failing with that first one, like it can be life-changing, but you're not going to know until you try.
1: Yeah. You're wearing a T, a t-shirt that says give up and it's scratched out and it says give hell. Um, Correct. Obviously, (laughs) In line with what you're talking about right now. Oddly enough, we're both wearing shirts that have a similar message. Mine I made this as a limited run when we were raising money for water filters in uh, the Bahamas. Yeah, activity. and it says it's thoughts and prayers, and those are crossed out, and it says let's give a damn, and that's. I know, want
0: that one. <laughs> well, I'll,
1: I'll I'll get you one. Okay, uh, but tell me tell me about that shirt. I mean, that's a, that's a really good like solid message. Obviously, in line with what we're talking about. I yeah, know. I, know right? I don't know if you wore it because of today, but um, honestly. It's solid. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I haven't been changing my outfits that often right now, so it's definitely a yesterday outfit. Um, No, I mean, it's from this company. They're called Wild Bang. um, And I actually have quite a few of their items. um, And one of the first things that I bought from them was a tank top that says, come as you are, which Mm -hmm. if anybody knows my business, like that is one of my top top things that I, I say to people is like you walk through my doors and you are valuable and welcome and safe just as you are. Um, and it's funny because when I asked you over the, the email, I was like, hey, like, is, should I wear anything? Because I wasn't sure if it was me taped or anything. And you're like, hey, just come as you are. And I'm like, yes, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's right. what I love. Um, but yeah, I actually have that phrase uh, laid into a mosaic in the backsplash of my salon um, in our back room. So It's, it's a really important thing. So that's how I came across this company. And when I saw this one, I just, I had to get it because I think that, you know, there are so many reasons and so many legit reasons, especially these days that it's like, yeah, giving up feels like it would be the right decision right now. And you know what? Nobody would shame you for it. It's like, and I think my whole life too, is like, you know, I've been through all this physical illness. I've been through some trauma. I've been through a really painful divorce. I've been through multiple failures i've been through assault i've been through you know like all these things where it's like you lay them all out and you're like yeah like nobody would fault you for being like this i'm gonna be done now you know but that's where it's that that's that motivator and like i think that's something i've learned about myself is with whatever hard thing is sent my way don't get me wrong i'm not gonna put a sparkly band-aid on it i will probably have a meltdown i will probably lay face down and be like fuck this i'm done and then i'll get sick of myself being on the floor. And then yeah. I'm like, that's not how I roll. Like, I'm just going to get up and, like, do the next thing. And the next thing might just be standing up,
1: you know? Yeah. yeah. And
0: so, yeah. Yeah,
1: I, I, I constantly teeter-totter between, you know, my, my natural personality is pushing people to do more and to do better, yeah. right? Yeah. Not, not in the vein of, like, Tony Robbins, you know, motivational. Like, I can, you know, but, but at the same time, that's where I always – that's where I always lean is I'm going to push you to do more, but I also I've been trying to get better at like also helping people take care. That's the uh, the, the teeter to the totter is like helping people also take care of yourselves, like get healthy, right. be healthy. Uh, because if you're not if you're not healthy as a person, if you're not whole as a person, whatever you give out, whatever you push forward to do is going to be mediocre. It's going to be less than right. And so I always struggle between the two because. I, I, I always want to, if I'm going to default to one, it's going to be the message of your shirt. It's going to be the message of like, fuck your thoughts and prayers. I'm not saying don't think and pray. Like, please, <laughs> pray. I, I pray. I love prayer. But don't stay there. Like yes. you've got to do something, right? And so I'm always pushing people to do more and give more because I think humans are amazing. We're resilient. We're strong. We're brave. And in times like this right now in a global pandemic, we're seeing people step up in ways they've never done before. Mm-hmm. But I always, I'm trying as I get older and mature more, like trying to maintain a balance between becoming a Tony Robbins and then becoming like a guru, like, you know, just take care of yourself, like, because I don't think that's healthy either. Like just taking care of yourself, this kind of like self-care, you know, era that we're in where everybody's like not everybody lots so many people are just taking care of themselves first and foremost and maybe too much right Yep. And i'm like cool that's fine that's good but like that you're not you're not making yourself and the other people around you stronger like we just know this if you don't go to the gym and lift weights over and over and over again your muscles don't get big they don't get big by you just thinking great thoughts about them right and by by eating a good diet and a clean diet right that would be the equivalent of like self-care like, you've got to go out there and actually pump iron. Yep. You've got to go run on that treadmill. You've got to lift weights, you, whatever, your, whatever your flavor of working out is, right? And so I always teeter-beat-totter, but I love that message of that shirt. And that's where I, I think you and I are similar in that. Like, if yeah. we're going to fall somewhere, if we're, to, if we're going to fall off one side of the horse, it's going to be the give them hell, yep. keep your thoughts and prayers, let's go do something about it.
0: Yes, I've never been a very just like passive <laughs> sit by the sidelines person. Um, but I also like think like what you're saying too, it, it reminds me you of know, something that I I say a lot too. It's like words mean nothing without action. Yeah. You know? And I think that that's something that, you know, we live in a in a time of influencers. We live in a time where people say a lot. Yeah. You know, and I have this, you know, this this kindness project, which we can definitely talk about more, but like just this idea of like something that I'm I'm very adamant about. Like, yes, a lot of it does like a lot of my reach happens on social media, but my hope and my message behind it is I want to share stories. I want to share, you know, experiences that get people off of social media and into their communities and into the person's life right in front of them. Because I think that we are one of the most connected, disconnected generations where connection can be so confusing because you're like, I'm talking to people constantly. I'm seeing people's stories constantly. I'm interacting with people constantly online, but huge part of human connection that we undervalue is that face-to-face contact, the human touch, you know, and, and meeting people in that way. And I think that that's where we are all starving for it. And that I think that has definitely had a toll on, on our mental health and, and just how we value and respect each other.
1: Yes. Before we get too deep into, because I, I, I want to talk Red Chair Project, Stellar Kindness, these stickers you're sending out, so many amazing things to come in the next few minutes. Before we get there, though, and you can go as deep or as shallow in this as you want, or tell <laughs> me that you're not going to answer it, but I am, I am curious about where you are uh, with your faith and what you've done with your religious upbringing, because I know where you came from, because I was there for four years. You were in it yeah. for a lot, lot longer than I was, but I was deep in it for at least four years, a couple years in the front end and the back end. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know your, I know your family. I know your dad. I lo- I have, I have nothing but fond memories of your dad. I mean, just the kindest person I've yeah. ever met in like the biggest smile and warm embraces and big smiles all over. But uh, you and I, I think maybe, on, maybe on another, in, in another situation and circumstance over some beers, we can talk very in depth about that theology, yeah. theology, meaning, you know, the the, the study of God. Um, but like, where are you with all of that? Because you came out of qu- quite the tremendous, I mean, your dad uh, was kind of the right hand man to one of the most, still maybe in some circles, one of the most famous uh, evangelical pastors right. in the world, you know, some would say, you know, yep. and not many people know about your dad, because he's a humble, awesome dude. And he kind of took he, he stayed in his lane, uh, and let Piper do Piper. But Where are you with all of that? I mean again, go as as long or as short as you want to on that, but I'm sure there's stuff to talk about here.
0: Oh, of course there is. And I think that it's a it's a very fluid thing for me in the in the sense that it's I one thing that I'm trying to have patience with myself on is like life is not as black and white as the church I grew up in. Yes. You know? And also the church I grew up in is not a perfect very far from it, representation of what and who God is, you know, and I'm somebody who like, I was very like, when I'm in something, I'm in it. I'm a very loyal, dedicated person. And so when I was in that church, I was so all in it. And, and, you know, as I grew up, there were just, again, you know, that, that value sounding board that we kind of talked about the front end, there are things that we're being taught that we're just hitting against that, that we're like, that doesn't feel right. The way they're talking about people, the way that they're, you know, saying the right, what's right and what's wrong. And like, what makes you go to hell and what gives you like the ability to go to heaven, like all this stuff. I just was like, as a kid, just never really sat well with me. But then there's that contradiction of like, but this is absolute truth. So I must be wrong. You know, so the inner conflict I had at that church started at a very, very young age. Hmm. And they're definitely worth, I just didn't have the verbiage or the words to, to give to it. And then, you know, getting sick, I, that church was very much so kind of more like almost glorifying suffering and being like, this is a, a way for, this is God giving you something that is going to be a good story. It's going to be something to show his grace and his goodness and that he has healing power and all this stuff. And, like, the whole church would pray for me. There were all these prayer groups. There was a caring bridge, all this stuff. And I got sicker and sicker and sicker. Mm. And just that level of guilt that came with that was really intense for me, too. And so I think that also growing up in that way, I attached myself more to being a story than a person because that's what people wanted to know about. Yeah. And so, long story short, there was a lot of just, like, mental damage, I think, that happened there, where it, it's not like, again, I don't think any one person meant to cause harm. I think just collectively having a group of very like-minded people who weren't challenging themselves in other ways, or giving this grace and space for, for kids like me to talk about things that they didn't understand yeah. in a safe way, like, I didn't have that. So as an adult, you know, like, I, I was going to church up until, you know, maybe five years ago or so um and and that was my community and, the, and it was great I definitely pulled away a little bit just to kind of just be like okay like I don't think I 100% agree with these things so I'm gonna go to a different church you know but like that really was where my community was and then you know as you know I went through a pretty rough divorce and it was just really interesting to see that community evaporate mm. and uh, And mostly, I think, and and I have believe me, a lot of grace towards people because, like, I get it. Like, when things are like uncomfortable, it's easy to just be like, "I'm going to love you from afar." Yeah, you know, because I don't know how to get in this with you. And so, and so, there just were a lot of like interpersonal things that happened that kind of just made me shut down. And again, it wasn't even just about God; it was more about the the organization of a religious community that was really triggering for me. And it's interesting because I don't even really know if I have ever had that big of a relationship with God outside of that. And so where I'm at now, long story short, because I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think that I can't, I look back at my life and I cannot chalk things up to coincidence. There are so many things that have happened in my life that I look back and I'm like, that there's no way I should actually be alive right now. <laughs> if, there wasn't something and someone that had more control and power and presence than I do. And, and I'm at a point now where I'm like, I actually get to start to explore this for myself. It's scary. Um, But I've had, you know, some people come into my life even just recently that have just like not pushed me, but more given me like this, like space of like, it's okay to like talk about it. It's okay to not know. And we're still going to be here. Yeah, you know, and, and it's okay to believe things like, I think to, it kind of goes back to that fear of difference. You know, the church that we grew up at, or I grew up in, and you were a part of, I think there was such an intense fear of difference that they really wanted to rigid, rigidly create this like idea of what it means to be a Christian and what it means to believe in God, because it's scary that there's so many unknowns out there. Yep. And I remember that just hit me as a kid. I just remember thinking like Piper was up there talking about like, I don't even remember, but it was so legalistic and so black and white. And he was saying with so adamant, like strength that this was absolute truth. And then I just remember thinking like there are 10 churches within like four blocks and each pastor could be preaching on the exact same verse and be saying something different. Yep. I was like, how does he know that he has the one and only answer? And like, you know, since then yeah. I just have tried to keep very open of like, at the end of the day, what does it mean to believe in God? Like, what are we trying to do with that? Like, what is it that it gives us? And it goes back to belonging, and it goes back to safety, and it goes back to trusting that there's something that is going to protect you, and that there's something that's never going to leave you. Mm -hmm. And I think as humans, like, we want that, and some people find that in community, and with people, some people find that in God, some people find that in whatever, but I think at the end of the day, it's like for me to kind of strip away all of the, you know, Bible verses for a second, and just be like, what is it that I'm hoping to gain? And I think that it is as, again, as somebody who's felt separate her whole life, that feeling of like being safe and belonging just who I am, yeah. you know?
1: Yeah. We have uh, a lot more to discuss there and we'll do that another time. Cause I, I yeah. do have, I, I want you to hear, you know, I would love to update you on where I'm at. And also, I, I want to hear. I want to hear, hear. You know more about that because again, I was. I was there. It was. It was simultaneously our four years in Minneapolis were simultaneously some of the best years of our lives. Uh, I mean, it was mm-hmm. our first four years of marriage, which you know, having amazing people around us, that was super helpful and super great. But that was. Uh, I mean, we left there eight years ago. Now, eight years ago. Oh, so ne- crazy. I know. Eight years ago. Next month. And so much has changed and I realize now I still have so much love for so many people there. Like people that I still talk to that are part of that church, uh, that I still love deeply them and their families. But I now realize how toxic, like actual toxicity, like flowing around in that place. And as you, as you pointed out the rigidity and the legalism and that it's our way or the highway. Like I will never, one of the things that I learned coming out of that environment was if there's no place for dissent, if there's no place for people to stand up and say, how is that possible? Or what in the hell are you actually talking about? Mm -hmm. Or I think you're wrong. If there's not a place for that in our faith communities, in our workplaces, in our families, in our relationships, that's not healthy. There should no. always be room for pushback because none of us has the answer. None of us are, um, none of us are have the answer. None of us have it all together. And yeah. So and that was very much not a thing there. I mean, um, whether it was the, the the questions you had about the world, about who makes it and who doesn't, um, yeah. Books you were reading, ideas you were having, um, that's unhealthy. And I've seen so no. many people leave and are now healthier I know I'm one of them like I am right. in a much healthier place in terms of what I believe what I believe is happening in the world and how to love God and love my neighbor better like it's just a much healthier place but thanks for sharing that because I know that yeah you had, you had you had you had like close proximity to everything that was happening there
0: yeah there's um, definitely yeah way more there but like I mean, at the end of the day, it's also very like validating, helpful to talk to somebody who's actually experienced it. Because it's one thing to like just say to somebody who's never experienced being in that kind of scenario, like, "Oh yeah, it was kind of fucked up," you know. But yeah. like to be able to like have that conversation with somebody who gets it and also has moved forward. Yeah, I think that that's something that I I want people to know is like it's I'm not sitting here being like that place like I hate it like like no like that means it still has power over me 100%. like I'm sitting here being like there were a lot of like really horrible things that happened to me there there were also things that have brought a lot of good in my life and I'm able to look back and be like you know what a lot of the things that I felt ashamed for and guilty for weren't actually about me in that moment you know and yeah. I think that's something that's like I can say with my words but in my gut I'm like nope it's all your fault But I know that that's just a part of learning lessons at a very impressionable age,
1: you know. Yeah, Yeah. and to circle back around, and then we'll move on, to circle back around to how you started, just the, you 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 said that you used the term fluid, like things are fluid right now. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the most, like, freeing things to be able to say, I don't know. Yeah. Not, it's so true. Not enough of us are okay with the I don't know. And we should be totally okay with that, especially with things dealing with like huge, huge ideas about who's in charge of it all. Is, right. there, is, there, is there this kind of master plan about everything that's going on? Is there an afterlife? Like we only know, I don't know what's happening outside this room. You go outside, like I don't know. even know what's happening out there. Cars going by, people going by. Right. Like, why would I have the audacity and the, the arrogance to say, I know what's happening to every single one of you?
0: Seriously. Seriously.
1: And I, I think, I think it, um, there's a lot of humility in saying, I don't know. Like, let's, let's ponder and let's yeah. talk about some things. We do have, um, you know, we have history to look back on. We have this Bible. We have all these things that we can look at and piece things together with. But at the end of the day, there are very few things. I'm talking like, a couple things that we can say for sure. Here's what's happening. I know it because of of X, Y, and Z. Everything else, I'm like so fine with saying, my kids need to see me growing up. They need to see me as they grow up, say, I don't know a million times. Right. Because that'll give them the humility to grow up and be able to say, I don't know and ask questions and not get pissed off when somebody has a different idea, you know, like that's just, that's a better way to live. I think um well
0: and i think that's the thing it's like yeah it gives other people permission to not know either because none of us do yeah. you know and i think that that's something that you know as a business owner now i've had my business for six years and everybody there's this expectation that i should know what i'm doing but what i try to share with people is like with a business you want it to grow and you want it to evolve if it's sure. evolving you're having to evolve with it. Every year, my business has evolved to a degree that it's like running a new business the next year. And so you know what? I don't know. Yes, I have more experience. I have more knowledge. But every day is a new experience for me and I'm navigating the best I can. And so for somebody to have this assumption that I'm supposed to know exactly what I'm doing all the time, that's just not fair. No. You know? And so, yeah. And so that's where I've had to become really... And, and, and that's where transparency with my team, I think, has been important of just in times of just being like, if they bring something up or they're like, why is this like this or whatever? And I'll say, I don't know, but I'm going to figure it out. I don't know, but I will get an answer for you versus trying to make up some bullshit on the spot and then have that come back to bite you in the ass. It's like, no, I, I am too tired to pretend like I know things that I don't know.
1: Yeah. Life is way too short to pretend we know all this shit that we li- don't know. Yeah. Okay. So that's really great. Uh, thanks for sharing that and for yeah. being a, a, a little more vulnerable uh, with us there. Um, okay. So Stellar Kindness Project. So you, well, it's, so you, have, the, you have the salon, six years, yes. uh, an amazing salon that has a great reputation. How many, uh, is it just one location? Or there- so yeah,
0: we have one location, but we have two spaces in the building. And I can get into that if you want me to. Um, but yeah, we recently last year expanded into a larger space within our building. So when I first opened, we were a team of five. Um, and now my team is 20 people. And so yeah, it's been a pretty, pretty cool, cool thing to see grow. And it hasn't been linear. It hasn't been just going up, it went up and then it went down and then went backwards and then went sideways. And like where we are right now, I mean, well, where we are right now is we're shut down and everybody's unemployed, but it's, which has been, that's just been another thing where I've just had to be okay saying like, I, I don't know. This is my first time dealing with a pandemic and a government shutdown and it's, we're not the only ones suffering right now. So it's like, I'm not going to sit here and be a victim about it it's more just like everybody's struggling and I'm just going to continue to do the best that I can to make sure that my team has jobs to come back to.
1: And how are you doing that? How, how are you, like how are you even processing through they're unemployed? You're unemployed. There's a, there's an empty studio sitting there waiting for people to get Harris cut. I mean, I, you, you were, you were Instagramming the other day or something about having to make hundreds of phone calls Yeah, to yeah. cancel with clients. And I'm sure some of them, If they, if they know what's up, they're like, Oh my God, like no worries at all. We totally understand. Nothing is certain right now, but I'm sure there's been people on there that are pissed that they can't get their haircut on April 12th or whatever. And so how are you processing through taking care of, you know, 20 people that you love and care about, can't provide for them financially now because you're not making money, but how are you taking care of them? And like, and then, yeah, just even with clients. So there's 20 people on your team, but then hundreds of people that come to you Yeah with this very trusted thing, hair, you know, when right. you were describing it earlier, when you start when we started talking, I was thinking, yeah, like I'm a really touchy feely guy. I give hugs. I give kisses. Like I'm, I'm a, I'm a bear hug kind of person. I don't mind yeah. people touch me, but hair is a different thing. Like yeah. I never even thought about it. until you were talking about it. Like it's such an intimate thing that if somebody walked up to me on the street right now and ran their hands through my hair, <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't like, beat the shit out of them but I would be like what are you doing like that's so weird but then we voluntarily sit in a chair and pay somebody money to run their hands through our hair for an hour or whatever yeah and so anyway it's just kind of you you have this like great intimate relationship with people yeah how are you processing through all of that for your business and we're in the middle of a global pandemic we don't know when this is gonna end it could be
0: right a
1: a month but the way that Americans are responding to this it could be a lot lot longer it
0: could well I mean and already like we we have when we first were mandated to close, which I actually, I did, I voluntarily closed us the day before that they mandated it. Um, just, and that was a huge, that was a huge emotional roller coaster that I just wasn't prepared to figure out because I mean, it, it wasn't just like, there were just so many unknowns and, but also like, as far as the pandemic goes, which looking back, I'm like, no, there were a lot of knowns. We just weren't getting a lot of <laughs> information. Um, but just for me too looking at us closing our doors as all of a sudden people like my people are not making money and we have all these clients that want to get in as well and so it was just like that tough toss up of like what's the mo- what's the what's the right thing to do there is no right thing to do yeah. and i eventually just got to the point where I was like we need to in order to stand behind my values i need to close my doors and make sure that people are seeing us be proactive Because at the end of the day, I had to shift my focus of like, what do we need right now to what do we need long term? And I need my people to be alive. I need our community to be alive. And I need my business to be alive. And so if that means that I need to shut my doors right now and eat that cost right now to be able to invest in that future, that needs to happen. But it wasn't an easy decision. And there were so many different variables. But like, as far as like how I'm doing with all of it, I mean, you know, I I started my business when I was 23 you know, I'm, I'm turning 30 next week, which is, whew. it's not even like the turning 30. It's more just the end of a decade. And also this is not how I expected to end my decade. Um, but for the past six years, I've worked seven days a week. You know, for the past six years, I have poured everything into not just my business, but into the relational aspects of it to seeing and touching people and like doing hair. Yes. But really that, intense connection that you get at a salon and so not only is like you know there's there's so many difficult things as far as like my people being unemployed and you know having to trust that they're able to seek support from their personal communities because I can't give it all right now but also helping them navigate applying for unemployment and like figuring out all these new loans that are coming out you know to try and supplement some of our income like yeah there's all that business stuff but then also it's like everything that i knew my whole ecosystem is just like it's like pulled away right now like you know i i and so my brain i don't think can process it like i don't yeah. even like I, I go between being like 80 percent survival mode and just getting shit done and like s- starting a million new businesses in my head you know because it's like yeah. a half my brain is just trying to right. grasp on this some t- type of normalcy and then the other 20 percent is like severe panic attacks and like just distraught because it's so heavy and I'm stuck in my parents' basement, you know? And so like, this is just like, I just feel like I'm kind of short circuiting a bit, but that's when I kind of have to reground and be like, what's the next thing I have to do? Even if it is just opening my computer to send an email, even if it is just to uh, like open up that piece of mail from Minnesota unemployment and read it, you know? It's like, what is that next thing? Because obviously I'm not going to cure this pandemic but I want to, again, go back to like, what are the things that I need to do to ensure that I am setting up this business in the best way possible? Not because I want to make money, but because I want to make sure that people have jobs to come back to. I want to make sure people have a safe space to come back to, you know, because I've invested so much into that environment. And, and so like, I think right now there are so many unknowns, that, a part of it too and this is weird. I don't know. My brain is just doing weird things these days, but like, Mm -hmm. there's like this relief of like, yes, I'm responsible, but also everything's kind of a clusterfuck. So everybody's in the same boat. Like I'm so used to that, like pressure being on my shoulders of I'm responsible for 20 people, all these hundreds of clients, this reputation, the finances, the growth, like anytime we take a risk, if it fails, it's my, it's on me. If it succeeds, we all get to celebrate. But at yep. the end of the day, I'm holding that imminent, like, I'm responsible. And right now, I'm like, I'm responsible, but I don't have responsibilities. Yeah. And if no that control. makes sense. And no, and completely no control. completely no
1: control. Yeah.
0: So there's something that's weirdly kind of like a deep breath with that. But then then the panic hits, and then I'm, like, back into my circle of shit.
1: <laughs> that's to be expected. We're all going to have days like that. Yeah. Um, Okay. So that's the salon. Thank you for, you know, it's obvious that you give a damn about your, yeah, your team and your clients and you've been working hard to make sure they're all taken care of. Uh, Tell us about, this is one of the reasons I wanted to chat with you was the Stellar Kindness Project, the Red Chair Project. These are ways that, you know, above and beyond, you know, running a successful business in Minneapolis, you saw a need for, to create other things uh, such as, you know, Stellar Connect and Kindness Project and the Red Chair Project. Tell me about these projects, why did they come about? What are you doing with them? And uh, especially let's, let's kind of like pinnacle with the red chair projects. I think yeah. that was a really cool initiative that, that was, um, that didn't have to be done and you probably didn't have time to do it, but you decided <laughs> to do, to do this thing that was that I'm going to, I'm going to venture to say most people that see people in need, see homeless people don't think about <laughs> their haircuts, they think, you yeah. know, maybe buy them a meal, and or whatever, maybe or maybe wave to them, give them a smile, whatever it is, but nobody's thinking the hair. And yeah. you and I both know, I mean, I will always wait too long to go get a haircut. I mean, like, sometimes months will go in between. I just don't, I don't know, I'm too busy. I got a lot of shit going on. And that's not a great excuse, but I do. And when I finally go get a haircut, boy, do I feel like a million dollars. Like, there's something about walking out of getting your haircut that just makes you feel like a different person. Yeah. And so, but nobody's connecting those dots with people in need that are exposed to the elements, exposed to the, you know, just the outside. And so tell us about these extra projects you've created that have added more to your place, but that have done a lot of good in the world.
0: Oh, well. I mean, these are, it's funny because it's like some, sometimes I'm like tempted to call these passion projects, but really no, it's just extensions of what I want my impact to be on the world, whether that is in my salon and, or like these extensions of, of Stellar Connect, Stellar Kindness. So essentially like, you know, the beauty of going into something that you don't actually know what you're doing is you watch it evolve. And so Stellar Hair, I knew that I wanted it to be a space that was safe. I knew I wanted it, be a space that was about val- like valuing people that created acceptance, help people feel beautiful, cared about, you know, and, and less alone. And so as the business part of it grew, I realized I really had to cultivate protecting the business part of it because it needed to make money. We had to be able to keep our doors open to continue to do those things that I wanted to do beyond hair because I loved using our space for community things. If somebody had a need and I could say yes, I would say yes. Whether that was hosting a wedding in my salon when it was closed or like hosting a, you know, a cut-a-thon for, you know, X, Y, and Z. Or, you know, like there were just so many things. We did benefit concerts, all this stuff. And then as this, the business grew, I couldn't necessarily do those as much because we were open seven days a week. And I was also responsible for upholding my commitment to my stylists and helping them make money. And so Stellar Connect and Stellar Kindness kind of came about at the same time as we were growing rapidly. And I just realized, like, I don't want to sacrifice these things that are so important to me as far as like being able to become a space beyond hair for people. Um, And so I just need to be creative and figure out a way to do it, you know, and, and that just was plain and simple. Um, But the kindness project, actually, no I'll talk about stellar connect really quick just because I mean the kindness project is a little bit more, there's more, more to it. Stellar connect is basically my old space. So we expanded into my into a larger space in my building and I decided to keep my original space. And a part of why I wanted to keep it was because I wanted to create a transformative space for people's brilliant ideas. I realized that there's so many creative people out there. There's so many people who want to do good, who have great ideas. And oftentimes the physical space is too expensive or not attainable. And so what, cool shit could be created if people had that physical space to make their own yeah and so that was a part of my reasoning with stellar connect another reason that i kept it was because like i said in the backsplash of my salon it says come as you are and that's something that i'm very vocal about but recognizing that there are so many people that actually are not comfortable or able to come into a traditional salon Where, whether it be like people who are experiencing different disabilities, people who have religious beliefs that require privacy, people who have sensory issues, people who just have trauma and don't feel comfortable being around other people. You know, like there's so many people that are falling through the cracks and you don't care about it because traditional salons aren't set up. So they don't go to to traditional salons. So for me, in order to be able to back up those words, come as you are, I need to create a space that could stand behind it. And so up in stellar connect, even though we don't use it for hair all the time, it is a licensed salon. And so we've taken strides to put things in place that can make it a more approachable space where we're constantly learning as well. So we have these Florida's or like these really, really big mirrors on wheels that we use as dividers. So if a woman who wears a hijab needs to come and get a haircut hmm. and doesn't feel comfortable downstairs, we can set up a beautiful space for her versus putting her behind a screen in our salon and hiding wow, her yeah. away. Um, we have a, a shampoo bowl that is 100% wheelchair accessible so that it can fit any type of wheelchair. So people, when they come in to get their haircut, doesn't matter if they're able to get out of their chair or not, they get to have that full experience. Wow! And also those mirrors, they go all the way down to the ground and what we found to be valuable about that is people in wheelchairs who use wheelchairs, they aren't able to go up and down in their chair typically. So most salons, they can't even see their hair because the yeah, mirrors that, are that mirrors up
1: so high. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it's those things that we don't think about, but they're those little things that if we can be intentional, ask questions, we'll find ways that we can create more accessibility within our businesses. And accessibility needs to be more than just getting people, people through the doors um so that's a snapshot into what stellar connect is and it's still an ever-evolving thing and it's something that people especially in the business world look at me and they're like you are like bleeding money in that space and i'm like you know what and i'm gonna keep Mm -hmm. doing that until i figure out how to really make it work because i believe in what it stands for and also it's just a space to explore how can we make those positive moves in our business world and in our industries that put people first. Mm. So, so that's stellar connect. Um, and Stellar connect has also served as a platform for my nonprofit stellar kindness project. Um, and uh, yeah, stellar kindness project is one of, it's one of those things that in one of my darker times, it was one of those just like little impulsive ideas that I was like, I'm just going to do this. And even if it doesn't go anywhere, I just need to do it because it's in my head now. And when somebody, something is in my head, I can't get it out unless I try it. And so uh, this was actually, I mean, stellar kindness, basically, it started out with recognizing quiet acts of kindness and storytelling. So back 2016, 2017, I was going through, you know, this divorce. I was actually in and out of treatment. As you know, Um, I was just a mess. I was not, not grounded (laughs) whatsoever. And I was in a lot of pain. Mm. And the world was in a lot of pain. And I think that that's where I kind of hit this. It's not even rock bottom. It was more, I think it was more of that, like I shared at the beginning of like, I'll throw a tantrum because I'm like, this is really hard. I don't want to keep going. And then I hit this point where I'm like, okay, I got to do something. And that's, I got to that point. And that's when I I put out on social media because I'm somebody who I, I really attach to people's stories. I'm very empathetic. I feel it when I when I read about somebody and I'm like, I just want to know you or I want to care about you or like, mm. you know, um and so like I really love like the Humans of New York platform and I love that type of storytelling. And I just had in my head of like, whoa, what if I created some type of platform like that to share stories of people who are showing up with quiet of act- quiet acts of kindness? Because I recognize that, you know, social media has it's it's a gift and a curse, you know, and I realized that as somebody who suffers from pretty extreme depression, I would go on and I read about all this death and destruction and pain and watch my mood go down, 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 down. And I realized like, okay, I don't want to share stories that cover up that stuff because we need to respect it. There is pain, there's sadness, there is destruction that we need to respect and we need to do something about. And what if we supplemented some of the good that's happening in the world? Because I believe that if we can start recognizing those quiet acts of kindness or that, attainable good that you can create it's going to encourage individuals to all kind of recognize the impact they're able to have yeah and so uh, that's when i put on instagram i was like tell me a story tell me a story about somebody who's shown up with your in your life with a quiet act of kindness how did it impact you how did it inspire you and how did it inspire you to do something kind for somebody else because i really want to start to tap into this ripple effect because like i look back at the haircut that i got and this person who cut my hair, she did not do it with the intention of being like, okay, I'm going to be nice to her. And Katie's going to then go to hair school. And then she's going to, you know, open a salon and then she's going to start talking about me on podcasts. Like that's not why she was kind to me. So you just ha- don't know the impact that you yeah. have and you might not ever know. And so that's where I'm like, I want to try and give a, a little bit of a map snapshot to people. Like, yeah, your kindness might end up doing this for somebody. So Stories started rolling in and it was really cool to see how excited people were to tell me stories about people who were kind. And so what that showed me is like, there's something that gives to people when they can like focus on that gratitude, when they can focus on that, that impact that somebody's had on their life, you know? And so these stories came in and it wasn't the, the deed that was consistent throughout all the stories. It was the impact, you know, it could have been somebody who, you know, you know, like I, I think of Charlene who cuts fruit at Cub Foods, you know, and she lives next door to a single mom who has four kids and she would go over and just say, I'm going to watch your kids and I want you to go and take care of yourself, do something for yourself, wow. you know, or it's it, it's like those things where it's like, nobody else is going to really see that, but that has impacted that woman and her family so greatly. and And so, or it could be the person who donated like $1,100 to help this person bail out like one of their businesses that was starting to sink. But you know, it's like, just like it doesn't have to be a dollar amount. It doesn't have to be an action, even. It could even just be a word. Yep. Um, But the impact, the impact is what I wanted to really focus on. And so, what I did with those stories was I invited the people who were nominated uh, to come into my salon so I could show gratitude the best way that I could. So they came and they sat in my chair just like I did with Amy White for my haircut. And we just had an organic conversation about why they show up the way they do, who inspires them. Like, did they recognize the impact they were having? Like, I just wanted to gather more data about this kindness, you know, and, and throughout that I would do their hair and we would laugh and we would cry and mm. it was incredible. And then I would write a post about it. So that's really where the kindness project started. And a part of it too is a coping skill for me. You know, people mm. look at the kindness project and they're like, Oh, like, that's so great. You're so selfless. I'm like, nope i also just need to keep going yeah and it is so much like for me to look outside of myself and see somebody else like that's a survival thing for me for sure and to a fault sometimes it can get very caretaky and i don't care about myself the sure. way that i probably should but with that being said in those moments like it was a a double win like i was able to find some purpose and meaning. Um, and and also to give gratitude to this person who has given like help and kindness to somebody else, so over the years um because that was like twenty seventeen I think um we've been able to do quite a few i've been able to do quite a few of those stories, but also use the platform for you know we threw a wedding for our immigrant neighbors who during the executive orders, they were fearing deportation and not being able to come back to the states wow and they it was on valentine's day of again i want to say 2016 or 2017 and i had never really talked to these clients before but one of my stylists came up and said hey katie this person needs a beard trim i don't do beard trim so i went over i gave him a beard trim his name's gary and he was really you could tell he was upset i was like what's going on and this was only 15 minutes he's like well you know we're supposed to go to india and my Girlfriend, she's here on an HB1 visa, and our immigration lawyers are saying that she's probably not going to be able to come back due to what's going on with the executive orders. And he's like, I was going to go and ask her parents for their blessing to marry her, but he's like, now we don't want to leave. And he's like, instead, I just want to marry her. He's like, this idea of losing her, he's like, I just want to get married to her. So he's like, we're going to get married on Sunday. And this was a Tuesday. And I was like, oh my God. I was like, first, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I'm so sorry. Second, what can I do? I was like, we're closed on Sundays. Do you want to get married here? And he was like, uh, sure. (laughs) And so I was like, okay, well, what can we do? Can I get some chairs? Like we'll clean it, like all this stuff. And he's like, no, no, no. I was like, well, do you mind if I see if we can like get some things together so it feels like a wedding? And he's like, yeah, sure, sure. I put it on Facebook. We had... 20 different vendors donate. We had people donate a full reception. We had people donate a live stream to India for the family to watch. We had people donate custom rings, wedding dress, you know, food, chairs, music, photography, video, everything. Amazing. And it was incredible. And what that showed me is people want to help. They don't always know how, but they want to help. Yes, and so that was where something shifted with my kindness project too. Of like recognizing, like, yes, there's a storytelling, but also how can I create more opportunities for people to show up in their authentic ways to show kindness for people? Because I truly believe people want to have more of that impact than they do because they don't realize their capability with it. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of like a snapshot of where where Stellar Kindness Project was until you know this past summer. Obviously, it did take. A bit of a turn with another one of my ideas that I just was like I just got to do it, um, and that was the red chair project. So, yeah, I don't know if you want me to just dive right into that. Dive or- right
1: in. I mean, this is all good. I have I <laughs> I have lots of questions, but I think you're doing a great job. Like sharing okay. it all. So keep going, keep going. I'll just let well, you tell it.
0: It's my favorite topic. So. There you go. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, the Red Chair Project um, actually originally started back in 2013, right before I opened the salon. And let me just say, too, I'm somebody who I, I like to name things. And so it's like Stellar Kindness Project and Red Chair Project and like all this stuff. And and really, it's just for me to kind of like give a definition to whatever like crazy idea I'm doing that day. Yeah. Um And so back in 2013, and granted, this only lasted a few weeks um, back then because it was right before we were opening the doors of the salon. And I mean, it was such a roller coaster to get those doors open. So we kept getting pushed back and we had all this equipment in our living room. And I was like, okay, I'm feeling antsy because I'm not getting into the salon and opening our doors as soon as I want to. What can I do? And as somebody who grew up downtown Minneapolis, I was very like familiar with driving by people who were experiencing homelessness and asking for help. And as a kid, like it wasn't as much the fact that they were homeless because I didn't quite have a grasp on that. It was more how lonely they looked mm. and seemed that broke my heart. And so, you know, and, and it was so often that it's like, well, what can we do? What can we do? And it's like, Oh, you can't always give money. You can't always give food. You can't always. And so then, you know, you see people start to avert their eyes if they feel uncomfortable and they're like, oh, I can't give them something. So now right. I'm going to pretend like you don't exist. Yeah. So I don't feel uncomfortable. Um, and so that's when I had this idea of like, I'm going to just go around and see if people want haircuts. You know, I know how to cut hair. You know, they probably need a haircut. And so I put one of my red salon chairs in the back of my car and I drove around. And it started out with this idea of like, oh, I want to go and give them haircuts. But then what I realized is like, I want to go and get to know them. You know, there are people that are in our communities that we so often just overlook or pass by and they have valuable shit that we could yes. all learn from. Yes. And so I, I did it just for a few weeks. I only gave like four haircuts, I think three haircuts, but it was life changing for me. And then obviously like I got very busy with the salon and that was just one of those little projects. I was like, ah, oh, that was a really cool project. And then this past summer um, I kind of hit another one of those points of like Mental health was definitely feeling tough for me, and and when I feel helpless, it's that that whole like when you feel helpless, help someone type of thing.
1: yeah
0: um, But also, I just was like, you know what? there there's this one person that like I keep driving by every single day. I don't even know his name. You know, like maybe maybe I should try this project again, because what I realized is this project was not about the haircut even as much as it was about slowing down talking to somebody getting put in that vulnerable situation of where you're talking to somebody who doesn't know you and they're trusting you to cut their hair on the side of the road. And like, that's a pretty cool representation of humanity right there. Yeah. So, so yeah. So the red chair project is basically this idea of bringing that salon experience to people versus waiting for people to come to me and putting my money where my mouth is as if everybody is welcome and come as you are. Like if if people can't come to me, I need to go to them. And then also just this idea of like slowing down, you know, yes, there's this like impact of watching somebody cut hair on the side of the street. And it's been really cool to kind of see how that's rippled out to our community. And the feedback that I've gotten of people now see like the feedback I've gotten from some people is like, they see people when they drive by them. Now they recognize like, Oh, you get your haircut. I get my haircut too that's a common humanity thing right there where we were so different or I didn't want to recognize you as a human because it made me uncomfortable. And so there's been a really cool ripple effect of that. And then also the storytelling that we've done as well as after, you know, giving haircuts and getting permission, of course we'll write about people that we meet and just how storytelling can bridge that gap of difference. Like when people read about somebody online, it almost helps them build trust before they, feel comfortable to talk to that person in, in real life. Yeah. So, so yeah, so red chair project, um, I'll start out with just this idea of like, I called one of my, uh, front desk girls. I, like, Hey, I have this idea. Do you want to give it a go with me? And little did she know what she's getting into? I was yeah. like, yeah, we're going to drag this red chair across 35 W because I just pulled off to the side of the road and said hi to this man that I would driven by every single day. And I was like, Hey, do you want a free haircut? And he, like, laughed and laughed at me. And, and then he was like, you know, I actually, he's like, I'm going to a funeral tomorrow. I was really hoping to be able to get a haircut. Wow. And I was like, are you going to be here for a second? He's like, yes. I was like, I'm going to go get my chair and I'm going to get my scissors. I, and I give every single person the opportunity to. I'm like, I can either cut your hair right here, we can go to a place that you're more comfortable, or you can come to my salon. But a lot of people want to get their haircut right there because that's also where they're working, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, And so... So I went and grabbed my stuff and I told Lolly as we were driving over, I was like, even if this project starts and ends with cutting Edward's hair, it's going to be a success because we have met somebody and connected with somebody we wouldn't have otherwise had the opportunity to. We will learn about him, but also hopefully, maybe just a little bit he can feel less alone as well. Mm -hmm. And so a couple of the questions that I ask people, because again, yes, it's about the haircut and service, but it's also like, I want, I want to learn And I want to not, like, it's so easy to make assumptions. It's so easy to judge people as you drive by them or anybody who might be different. And so instead of just doing that, I'm like, tell me more. You know, and so a couple of questions that I ask people are like, you know, people drive by you every single day. What is one thing that you wish they knew about you? And then the other one is, you know, people driving by you, you know, offering things besides food, water, money you know what are items that feel helpful mm. and 9 out of 9 times out of 10 with that last question people's response it's not even an item it's eye contact it's a wave it's respect wow. it's acknowledgement wow. and i think that that's, that's that humanity of like we so undervalue the importance of connection yeah. you know we look at human basic needs being food water shelter you know but connection needs to be right up there and i think that that's beautiful part of this project is it allows me to be in very close proximity with another human who yeah. doesn't get to have that with a lot of other people,
1: yeah. you know? Yeah. A and couple so- years ago, a couple years ago I started doing, yeah, it's been a while now cause I can't remember kind of even what it was like before, but a couple years ago I made it a point, you know, cause there are complexities with homeless people. Like, yep. you know, what, what do I do? I can't give something to everybody because there's so many and you know, there's all these questions yep. that we have to deal with. But one thing that we can always do and something I've done every single time since then is look them in the fucking eyes and wave at them and smile. I see that person now. We've connected eyes. And so many of them, in fact, most of the time, they don't even like whatever they're holding, a bucket or a hat or whatever, they don't even push that toward me. They look at me, they wave, and that's it. They might even turn away from me because they know that's what they're getting in the moment. But it's like, okay, we just saw each other. I just humanized you much more then if I would, then if I just wanted to not be uncomfortable and so I just avert my eyes and whatever, mess with my radio yeah. or look on my phone or whatever people do when that happens, um, yeah. that's huge just to start there and just like humanize them. Right. They want to be recognized sometimes even more than the food or the drink is like, I'm not here because I want to be, or yeah. I, I, th- there's so much more to me than, than what you see right here. Yep you know, that happens in that, that, eye, that quick eye contact and that wave that like putting your hand up.
0: It's so true. Well, and I think that that's something that, you know, I've, I've definitely had people like push back and be like, well, what if they, you know, it's just the cliche, like, well, if you're giving them money or food or what, what if they're like going to buy drugs or what if they are choosing? Like, I, I just looked at them like, nobody would choose this. I hope you realize this. Like right. nobody would choose this. Yeah, And also At the end of the day maybe they do but you're making a pretty big assumption so what if you slow down and ask them a few questions about themselves yeah Yeah. you know like whenever you have that assumption like we we can't tell but we're humans we're going to make judgments we're going to have assumptions but like what i want this project to do is slow those down enough that we check ourselves and be like well that was an assumption yeah so Even if like, you aren't going to actually go and talk to that person, start to get that gauge going for yourself of like, I just made a judgment, you know, and it's not, you know, and it is what it is.
1: And even one step, sorry, one step further is who cares? Who cares? Like, look at, look at the situation they're in that they're probably not choosing voluntarily to be in. Like, wouldn't you want a beer? Wouldn't you want a joint? Like, like, what do, what do we What do we do when life gets hard? We have a yeah. beer. We go smoke, like, me, coffee and cigars. Well, like, I I had to yeah. smoke weed to, like, chill out from, <laughs> like, I'm extremely ADHD, and so when I want to chill out for a little bit and, like, just yeah. level out and not be thinking all the time, what do I resort to? And it's not all the time. It's not an addiction. None of this is an addiction. No. It's like, but what if they want to go get a beer? Let them go get a beer with the $5 yeah. you gave them.
0: It's so true, and I think that that's, like, I have a lot of thoughts on that, but one right. quick little story about that was there was this guy, I call him Corey from the quarry because I would always cut his hair by the target quarry. In oh, Minneapolis. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I was asking him, I cut his hair a few times actually. And which was great. Cause it's again, it's, it's, it's about building relationships. And I asked him like he, somebody gave him 10 bucks. And I was like, Oh, what are you going to do that? He's like, well, I sometimes like to go and just like sit at a bar and like buy somebody a drink.
1: And oh I'm my like, God, that's, that's so, awesome. Yeah.
0: That's so awesome. But like, as far as like what you were saying too, about just like the, like buying a drink or like whatever somebody was, uh, it was, it was during the, the, all the, the tent city stuff that was going on um, off of Hiawatha in Minneapolis, where it was like the, I mean, homeless Native American population that was like living out of tents there. There weren't enough shelters or anything like that. And, and people were saying, well, like they're all just druggies or they're all, they're all like alcoholics and you know, they want, Like, people are trying to help them, but, like, they don't even want help. And I'm, like, they're, like, why should we help them? And I'm, like, well, let's take a look at it this way. They've had so much taken from them. They have been shit on by their community and the government. They have been – they've experienced so much, like, letdown from people who should care about them. Wouldn't you want to (laughs) drink? Wouldn't you want to do drugs? (laughs) Like, I mean, no shit. No shit. They're just trying to forget it all. They're just trying, like they're trying to cope the best that they can because all the other humans in their life have left them. Yeah, you know, and so it's just things like that. But then I also like when I think about like you know people holding signs and asking for help, and like how people are like, oh, like they should just get a job or they should just go do this or blah blah blah, whatever. I look at them and I'm like, have you heard of GoFundMe? Because I'm pretty sure we all do that online different platform but we're all when
1: shit it's the fan yeah yeah
0: we're all struggling and so it's like okay i need to pay these health bills i'm going to put that out there and get community support i need to do this i'm going to put that out there and get community support the people who are standing at the side of the street they might not have the resources to do it that way so they're standing there physically with a sign saying hi i need help i need community support it's the same fucking thing yeah and so don't shit on people because really, if you slow down and ask them their stories and how they got to where they are, most of them have been in our positions even a year or two years ago. Yep. But, you know, and then it's like, we won't get into all the politics behind everything, but right. hardly ever is it just like based in addiction. Hardly ever is it just based in being like a lazy person. I don't think anybody actually is ever lazy out there. They are some of the most hardworking, hearted people that actually give so much more than people who have a lot to give.
1: Yeah, I mean I mean there's a lot of these undercover videos, right? Where like they'll they'll follow somebody, they'll give, you know, this homeless person like a hundred bucks or whatever, and then they like secretly undercover follow them, right? And the guy okay. ends up going to a grocery store, buying a bunch of stuff and giving it out to his homies. Oh like that happens more in, in, in say let's just say there are there's probably a percentage of lazy people or people that aren't helping themselves, right? But that's everywhere. So you right. don't <laughs> you don't judge the the ninety-six percent based right. on the 4%, right? right? Just like we're not going to judge uh, the, whatever, the majority of Americans that do X, Y, or Z, right? Yep. Based on the, the ones that don't. Um, we, we need to be more gracious and loving. And you've been a great representation with, I love the part, and I know we got to wrap up soon because you've got something here in a few minutes, but I, I love the part earlier that I really wanted to comment on, even if we just spend a few seconds on it. You talked about, you know, you got the mosaic in your office, come as you are. And so many people that's where they stop is they wait for people to come to them and that's not all bad. Like that's where, that's a good first step is like, when people tell you I need help, what are you going to do? That's a person coming to you right as they are. But then there's a next step and that shows in in my, in, in my view, that shows how much of a damn giver you are is that at a certain point you cross the threshold of like, okay, people coming to me. Now we need to take one step further and go to them right? Because there are so many kinds of people. The stellar connect is a great example of you saying, there are so many people that can't come into the salon. I'm already doing a bang up job, you know, as a boss and, you know, providing work and hundreds of clients and dah, yada, yada, yada. That's a success story in and of itself. But then saying, what about the, what about the Muslim neighbor that wears a hijab that doesn't feel comfortable coming in here? What about the person in a wheelchair that can't get a haircut in here because they can't see themselves and we can't rotate the chair to fit this little spot? So you've taken those extra steps to not just come as you are, but also go to those people that can't come to you, whether they're whether it's a Muslim woman that because of a religious, uh, you know, background can't do this, or a homeless person that can't leave their corner because that's their corner. Yeah, that's where they make money, so they can't yeah. leave it to go get a haircut. You're going to them, and um, that's all wonderful. And it, there's a huge lesson there. We could talk another hour on that. Um, Let's wrap up with a couple things. One is just pointing out, you, you may want to expound on it, but one is just pointing out this whole sticker thing that you're doing right oh, now. Yeah. <laughs> so again, we're in this, these are just small little things, right? It's the yeah. cost of a stamp, but it's you saying, We're in the middle of a global pandemic, uh, nobody knows what the hell's going on. Yeah. Let me send you a sticker. Let me send you a little reminder. Of a truth a reality that yeah. isn't that isn't changing it, it is a it is a firm truth in the middle of all this so quickly give a overview of what you're doing right now to a bunch bunch of people all over
0: yeah well i mean if it hasn't become clear up until now like i i am somebody that i have to do something yeah. you know when when there's pain when there's sadness you know i just i have to do something and um what's been very I mean, there's been so many heartbreaking things about where we're at right now with the world and this pandemic and everything. And I think one of them is like the way that I most naturally, organically, authentically give is in-person, face-to-face contact. And I can't do that right now. Yeah. And so that hopelessness is so heavy. And, and, and that was a, you know, when I first started the Kindness Project, that was a, a question that I asked myself. It was like, you know, there's so much that we need to stand against or there's so much that we can't do. What do we want to do? What do we want to stand for? You know, and so even just this past week, I kind of had that moment of like, there's so much I can't do right now, and I feel so helpless. Like, what can I do? And I just so happened to have all these I would ordered maybe like months ago, a couple months ago, all these bumper stickers um, that have the phrase that I say often with my kindness project, which is, if fear is contagious, why can't kindness be? And and I had ordered all these, but I didn't have a purpose for them. And honestly, they weren't cheap. So I wasn't just like, just like throwing them places. So I was like, I'm going to find something to do with these, you know? And it's so funny because in my gut, when I had them just sitting in the drawer there, I was like, I'm going to find something to do with it. And then this all hit. And I had that moment of helplessness. And I was like, oh my God, like this is so heavy. And I can't go and hug somebody. I can't go and give somebody a haircut. I can't do the things that I usually do. And then I was like, what if I sent stickers you know what if we use this as a way to connect with people beyond social media you know and and so I put it out there and I was like you know this is a really painful scary isolating time and we're all separated from the normative day-to-day experiences that we have and it's really easy to have that be soul-crushing it's like I would love to send you a letter and a sticker as like send me your address i'm going to write you a note send you a sticker it's so simple some might find it so cheesy and that's okay but i think again receiving something that somebody else has touched and put effort and personal expression into and sent it to you like there you know that feeling when you get a piece of mail that's not a bill like yep. it feels really good but have something intentionally sent to you because you know you you connected and and so we've now sent out um, oh man, I've sent out close to 300 stickers now. Wow. I've written about, yeah, 250 notes. And, and again, it's like, usually I'd have like some of my, my team with me to help me with these types of things. And again, I started, like I do this where they kind of have to like come along for the ride. They'll see me post something on like social media. And they're, they're like, like, oh shit. shit. Yeah, uh, exactly. shit. like I got it. <laughs> you know, and, but this was one thing that I'm like, I can't, I can't have them come along with it. Like I can't have them, hey, come over for this like letter writing party or anything. So, I kind of got myself into this, but that just means like it's also a coping thing for me. Every day I'm writing letters to people and sending them out, and it's healing for me. And then just seeing the response on social media of people getting them and people like feeling like it was a highlight or it was special or it made them feel something. I'm like, that's what it's about. It's not about me like sending a sticker. You know, it's not about the sticker, it's about that experience of receiving something from somebody else, especially in a very lonely time. Yeah. And so I'm going to keep doing that until I run out of supplies and, uh, or until people are over it and don't want anymore, Amazing. but yeah. So that's kind of what that's, that's how my kindness project has evolved with the pandemic a little bit.
1: I love it. I love it. Constantly pivoting. And just as a yes. side note, uh, the stellar kindness project, red hair project have been featured in msn.com on msn.com readers, Digest, Star Tribune, care 11, even hold your hats, folks, Breitbart news uh, also <laughs> covered. That crazy place, <laughs> oh. uh, all of toxic and fake news, um, covered it. So that was there, there's one good piece of news on all of Breitbart.com. It's so
0: funny because when I found out about that Boyd Hooper, who did the the special on Care 11, um, he sent me a text the next day because this thing went viral.
1: Yeah, it went right? viral. Yeah, it was it, all over the place was, for a while. It
0: was wild. Um, but he sent me a text. He's like, "Guess you, you probably never thought you'd end up here. And he sent it to me. And I just was like, oh my God. And I went on and everybody else and I was getting texts from people like, Katie, don't read the comments, don't read the comments, don't read the okay. And I went on, I read every effing comment. And, but what I realized, I was like, number one, there's a lot of really sad, lonely people out there. And that makes me very sad. Yeah. Number two, I'm so kind of proud that my kindness was so repulsive to you that you had to try to throw it under the bus. Like, Insane. cool. It's yeah. so, yeah, but it's funny.
1: Yes. So that's <laughs> wonderful. So you're kind of a big deal now. Um, oh, us Let's, let's <laughs> wrap up with this. This is a question I ask at the end of every p- conversation. Um, part of it's hypothetical, part of it's not. Someday you're going to die. That's not. That's the non-hypothetical part. <laughs> I, I think we should. I think we can and should think about death because it's. it's there's yes. a sobriety about it and it helps us live better, I think. Yep. So someday you're going to die. Hopefully it's many, many years and decades from now. But the hypothetical part is that I'm still around and I've been asked to give you a eulogy. <laughs> So all of your family and your friends and your, the people that have worked for you and with you all these years, the people you mentioned, Edward, the homeless guy that you first started out, like everybody's there to celebrate and mourn your life. And again, I'm up there giving your eulogy. What do you hope in a sentence or two or a thought or two, what do you hope that I'll say on that day about your life and legacy?
0: Oh man, that's a really interesting question. And like, I think it is important to think about death. I think like I actually up until, I mean, recently, I thought I was going to die by the age of 26. And I kind of lived my life that way of like, that's, I think, a part of why I took a lot of risks. Cause I'm like, well, I'm going to die anyways. So I'm just going to do all these things and try to get as, in as much as I can. And now understanding a little bit more about how trauma works. Like that was definitely a PTSD um, reaction that I had. And so when I got past 26, I was like, fuck, I have to keep going. Mm. You know, but like, I also, I, I find value in recognizing that things are temporary. Like pain is temporary. Joy is temporary. Life is temporary. Um, and that I think that, you know, when I die, I, I just, I hope that I mean, it's what I say with everything. It's like, I hope that I helped even one person feel less alone. Mm-hmm. You know, I hope that something that I did helped them feel like they were important even for a moment and that helped create belonging and and that maybe gave permission to people to be like, hey, look, yeah, she is pretty fucked up, but, you know, still had that hopefully impact on somebody else, you know, or like kept going. Like, I think, you know, I joke all the time, I'm like, I'm kind of like a cockroach, you know, life keeps like stepping on me, but I am not dying.
1: (laughs) Not dying. dying.
0: I should, I should not be here anymore. But yeah, I think if anything, just to like give people hope that like, yeah, life is really shitty and you are incredibly important and have that resilience and capability to get through the worst of it. And all we can do is do the next best thing with what we have in front of us. And at the end of the day, it's, it's not going to be an, uh, a comparison of like you did this many good things and this many bad things. That's more the feeling that you leave people with. And that's, that's what I would want to be the focus.
1: Amazing. So, Amazing. Yeah. Where can people find you online and on the socials to like fo- <sighs> follow up and connect with what you're doing?
0: Totally. Yeah. I mean, I've got quite a few handles. Um, you can follow up my salon at stellar hair on Instagram. Um, There's also Stellar Kindness Project on Instagram, Stellar Connect. And then my personal is Katie Stellar. Um, You can also find us on like our website, StellarHair.com, StellarKindnessProject.com, StellarConnect.com. Just reach out at any of those places and you'll probably get me because I run all of the accounts. Um, But yeah, I mean, reach out if you have ideas of things that I can do in my quarantine to help others. Please, by all means, I would love to join forces. Um, but, But yeah, I mean, find us I'd love to connect.
1: I love it. I love it. Well, yeah, everybody's go Google it. I'll put all of those, uh, uh, every, all the Instagram handles, everything in the show notes. Katie Stellar, this has been an absolute pleasure. You're awesome, friend. Uh, keep giving a damn and we will connect again soon.
0: Thanks, Nick. Bye. <laughs>
1: Dear friends, thank you so much for joining Katie and me for our conversation today. I hope it impacted you. I hope it helped you. I hope you're encouraged. I hope you feel encouraged right now as you uh, begin a new week and as you continue to navigate these never seen before waters of a global pandemic, right? I hope that you, yeah, just feel encouraged and ready to give more dams than ever before in very creative and new ways. As always, you can find all of the things we talked about and all of the, the, the URLs and the social media handles, everything in the show notes. Go to Nicklapara.com, click on podcast, click on her face, you'll see everything there. Or you can go into the links in all the bios and all of our social media. You will find that information there right now. So hit her up, let her know what you thought of our conversation, hit her up with any ideas. I know that you're gonna feel impacted and you're gonna feel your creative juices are gonna be uh, get going as you hear her talk and as you hear her share her story. So if anything hits you and you wanna talk with her, reach out to her. As she stated, because of this global pandemic and her business uh, being down and out right now, she has more time to talk and chat and dream with you all. So hit her up. As always, this Podcast is produced and created by Chad Snavely and me. We are part of the Matter Media family. The music is by our friend and podcast alum, Propaganda. If you can, and I know most of you can and most of you haven't, and I know that by the numbers, if you can, please leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us in what we're trying to create. You can also give us a few dollars a month by visiting patreon.com slash let's give a damn. And please, please, please take a few seconds right now to share this podcast with a friend. It takes just a few seconds and it's really impactful. It really works. I I hear people all the time come to me and say, my friend shared this with me. My friend sent this to me. It happens every single week. And so it's working and you're doing it. But please do more of it so that our platform can grow. We can get these stories into more ears and eyes and hearts and lives. Can't wait to spend time with you next week. I love you all. Peace.